Now we go to the book of James and we look at the ramifications of the new life in Jesus Christ on our lives. We look at this idea that faith works. Our faith in Jesus Christ is so much more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is new life. It is eternal life with temporal ramifications. And that's what James deals with all throughout his letter, that our faith in Jesus Christ works out in our everyday lives. And last week, we began this idea of the tongue in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and seeing the pint-sized power that we have within ourselves. James says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is, also, the tongue is set, so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and, that, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Lord, as we open your word today... Use it in our hearts, we pray. We ask that you would quiet our minds, that you would quiet the noise of our souls, that you would quiet the things that that have been going on in our world, in our personal lives, and you would help us to just be still for a few minutes and know that you are God, that you would meet with us in this place, that you would use your Holy Spirit to bring alive the truths of your word in our hearts today that you would not leave us alone in our sin, that you would challenge us in these things. For one who doesn't know you as Savior, that you would continue to use the hammer of the Word of God to break the rock in pieces, to show them their need of a Savior. To the Christian who is struggling time after time after time with sin, or perhaps has given up, and decided, it's okay, I'll just do it anyway, would you continue to convict them of sin, to chasten them, to bring them back to yourself? Oh Lord, we pray that we would not stay the same. That you would change us with your power. In your name we pray. Amen. Many times in our lives, we need hard 
realistic views of things if we're going to see any kind of change. We need to hear things that make us uncomfortable in order to remind us of the path of growth and change that if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you're on. We're still growing and changing. I understand and I resonate with, we, we all feel like, if you, if you know the Lord is your Savior, don't you just wish that that was it and you didn't do anything wrong ever again? But it doesn't work that way. We are all on this path of sanctification. And so, the bad news of the sinful flesh that we have points us to the good news of Jesus Christ. It is true for salvation just as much as it's true for sanctification. If, we need, if we're going to understand that we need a Savior, we have to understand we are sinners. If we're going to understand that God wants us to grow, we need to understand that we still fight against our sin. We need the, the hard look here. And this is the truth that we find here on, in James's treatise on the tongue. These 12 verses of James, the first part of James chapter 3 are loaded with what many would consider bad news. And granted, it's not an extremely positive picture, especially in the stuff that we're going to dig into today. However, if we're going to grow, we need to be reminded of these things that we may see real victory won with God's help in our lives. The sinfulness of man highlights time and again the overwhelming goodness of God which will make us more like him. And what we said last week, we say again this week, because of the tongue's immense power, we must submit our speech to God that we may honor him consistently with it. And that is one of the parts that that James tries to hammer home here and the point, the the, the major point of this, this whole passage, that there is immense power residing in our tongues. The gift of speech that God has given us does tremendous things, both good and bad. And we must come to grips with what that, that, that power is there and that we, in and of ourselves, don't have the ability to do anything with it. It takes God and his strength and his help. So let's kind of just catch up where we are, and then we'll, we'll look at the rest of the passage today. Last week, we began with this in verse 1. We're talking about the power of teaching God's counsel. James calls for a special attention to be given uh, for those who would teach the word of God, that there is a great level of responsibility that comes with that opportunity. All believers must be consumed with living out the word of God, but especially those who would teach it to others because there is a stricter judgment, James says, for that one. We are responsible for how we instruct others in God's word. So we must not be careless and how we approach God's word. We must carefully approach it. We must carefully study it. We must carefully give ourselves to it that we may give it to others. At any time we instruct someone else in what the Bible says, we're becoming a teacher on that. That, that is from our, our homes, into our churches, into our neighbors, and our co-workers. Wherever we may be giving the gospel, wherever we may be instructing on things of God, we have become a teacher of the things of God. And so let us give careful attention to the word of God that we may give it as God says it. And then James talks about the power to control that's found within the tongue. And he uses the tongue and the control of the tongue as the sign of ultimate maturity. 
Because indeed, if the tongue can be mastered, James says, the entire body will follow. Have you ever found it hard to control your tongue? The gift of the tongue and communication allows us to so easily broadcast all manner and types of sin that are found within us. We, as Christians, and that's who James is writing to, is to Christians, we are called to be Christ-like, to practice living faith. And so, with God's help, it is possible to control our speech. And speech is, the James, as James says, is the seat of power. Because the scale of things that our tongues can do is massive. It can, it can direct entire courses of life to accomplish great things. And it can direct entire courses of life to do horrible things. And James uses two pictures here. He uses the bit in the mouth of the horse and the rudder on the rear of the ship as, as pictures of things that are very, very small in comparison to what they are attached to or a part of, but the power that they wield over that which it is associated with. The, bitter, the bit and the rudder work against contrary forces of the wild horse and the currents and the winds. And an uncontrolled ship or an unbroken horse poses great danger. Our tongues are so easily influenced by our sinful flesh. However, as, in the, as, as with a, an experienced horseman or experienced pilot, that there's great con, there's control found easily in those things, if our tongues are being controlled through our dependence on God, then we can find true and real control because it's not of us, it is of God. The tongue has power to control, and God has the power to control our tongues. And it's only Him, in him that we find that power. And that kind of catches us up where we were last week. If you want to un- hear, you know, we want to get that unpacked a little more, um, you can find that in our, our archive. But I want to focus today on the rest of this passage and see next that James talks about the tongue's power to consume in verses, the second part of verse 5 down into verse 8. And what you see first is that the tongue really is an insatiable fire. James transitions the picture from the horse and the, the boat to the picture of a fire. In ver- the second part of verse 5, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And while there may be some positives in the idea of controlling, the power of the tongue to control, the, the power to consume here is really, really only negatively presented. The power to consume is one we must come face to face with that resides in our tongue. And James appeals first to this picture of the fire. And he says, even in that statement, I mean, a great forest can be reduced to nothing because of one small spark. On September 5th, 2020, a fire began in some dry grass at El Dorado Ranch Park in Yucapa, California. And those who were responsible for the fire tried to douse the flames with water bottles, but to no avail. And this actually was taken, a picture that was taken in that fire. This fire burned until November 16th, 2020, and it burned 36 square miles of land, destroying five homes and 15 other buildings. The fire caused multiple injuries and claimed the life of one firefighter. 
And what was the cause of this fire? It was a small, seemingly harmless, smoke-generating pyrotechnic device a family was using for a baby gender reveal. A little fire goes a long way. You see, fire has a unique ability to continue to reproduce itself as long as there is fuel available. You know, this morning, if I poured out this water bottle out on the stage up here, probably no one is going to scream and run for the exits because you're worried about a flood, right? Because there is only so much water contained within a water bottle, right? But fire is unique in that its property is not concerned about how much was originally there. As long as there's something else for it to burn, as long as there's more fuel for it to feed on, it's going to continue to grow. It is insatiable for more. It consumes all that's in its path. And to this, James likens the tongue. And James doesn't use a simile. He doesn't say the tongue is like a fire or it is as a fire. What does he say? He uses a direct metaphor in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. It contains within it the power to consume others. And that really is because of what's found in the tongue. What's the old phrase That all the kids say to one another, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? That is so untrue, right? Words do hurt. And how many of us would rather be smacked up the head by a two-by-four than some of the words that we've heard people say to us? Words do hurt. And here's why. James says the tongue is a fire first because within the tongue is a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. The word here, world, refers to the system of evil that permeates our culture. And what James says is the tongues of men contribute to this age of unrighteousness, this world or age of iniquity. Found within the tongues of all men is the propensity to use them in such a sinful way. Within all resides that possibility, that ability to do these things. And just as a spark starts a fire, the tongue ignites all types of sin. James says, it is set, it, the tongue is so set among our members that defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. A complete world or a complete system of evil comes from the tongue's consuming power. And think about it. How many horrible things have been started over the years because of someone's speech. From the broken home to the country at war, lives are set ablaze by the tongue. All because of what came out of someone's mouth. All because of what someone decided to say, to express, to continue to go on and on. James says, 
Within the tongue is a world of iniquity, but secondly, not only does that, that world of iniquity leads to a tainting effect on all of men. James says that it defiles, or it, more literally say, stated, it stains our entire being. Do you realize that a whole of a person's character is affected by how he speaks? Remember that quote I gave you last week from the philosopher that said, Speak, friend, that I may see thee. That's so true, though. When you hear someone talk, you pick up on who they are. When you really listen and really engage with the words that are coming out of that person, you begin to to begin to pick up on what is going on in their heart. Because what you say to others reveals your heart, your motives. It reveals the inner core of your being. And what you say and how you say it can stain you. It affects you. As smoke from a fire leaves lingering effects, so the fire of the tongue has lasting effects. That's, you know, just personally one of the things. I I love a good marshmallow roast as much as the next person. Okay, I like to make s'mores. But one of the things I personally cannot stand is when I get into my house and I still smell like I'm standing around a campfire. I understand that, that some of you really enjoy that, okay? And that's fine. All right, I'm just not manly enough or whatever, okay? But I can't stand that when I get in my house and I still smell like the smoke out there. So I, you know, I find a, a clean change of clothes or take a shower or whatever I need to do because I'm not standing by the fire anymore, but the effects are still there. We may not be speaking those sinful words anymore and the things of iniquity, but the effects are still there. It's stained our entire being. But it doesn't, it doesn't just stop with us. James says, thirdly, not only is our, is our tongue a world of iniquity that, that defiles the whole body, it says, thirdly, and sets on fire the course of nature. The tongue sets fire to the course of our lives. Really, this is such an interesting phrase here. The, the, the literal phrase is the wheel of life. And our entire lives are consumed by our tongues, and that leads to outward effects. You see, all of human activity is affected by an unchecked tongue. The fire that's found within leaps from part of our lives to part of our lives, from victim to victim. As long as there's another person, the words continue to go. I mean, how many times have you heard something like, Well, I heard from so-and-so who heard from this person who heard from, right? It's like the old game of telephone you used to play as as kids. And you think, where did that start? Well, it started way back over here. And it continued to have an effect. Or, how many times has your own lives, different parts of your lives, been affected by something that you said to someone else? The fire that's found within is truly insatiable. Why is it such an insatiable fire that, sets on, that, that stains our entire lives? That, that, that is a world of iniquity that affects others? Well, it's because of this. Because of its satanic source. James continues. And it is set on fire by hell. The tongue is set on fire by hell itself. 
Sinful man lives as a willing participant in the schemes of Satan. He uses, Satan will use all those who are willing to oppose God. And here's an interesting word. We, we use the word hell. We understand a lot of times when we talk about hell, you say, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? But do you understand the etymology or the, the, the origin of that word hell? And why it's, it describes this place of fire and those sorts of things? Well, hell is, comes from the word Gehenna. Gehenna means the Valley of Hinnom. And the Valley of Hinnom is a place there in Israel It was a valley that was used for child sacrifice to the god Molech. Now, this child sacrifice took place by the Canaanites, but then eventually there were also some Israelites who took place in this thing. And that is obviously a horrible, horrid thing. And so, because of that, they took the valley of Hinnom and they, they used it for a refuse dump. And so they would take the trash out to the valley, and you know what they would do with it in the valley? They would burn it continuously. There was just fire all the time in the valley of Hinnom where they would burn the trash. And so Jesus, in his teachings, uses Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, which we have translated as hell, to represent the place where Satan resides. And so Satan himself sets fire to the tongue that it may do his bidding Consuming the user and others in its path. And so we have to understand that when used for sin, we have given control of our tongues over to Satan himself. And he will use it to consume anyone and anything he can. And we must recognize that this powerful consuming force, the power to consume other people, resides in all of us. Because all men are sinners, and such the, as such these things are possible in all men. Every day our world is consumed by the fires of men's tongues. And if you don't believe me, just log on to Twitter for about five seconds. And it isn't imposed by unwilling victims. It is instead the outpouring of sinful hearts. Jesus said in Mark 7, verses 21 through 23, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a man. Sinful speech reveals a sinful heart. I love the way one author put it. Our tongue problems are heart problems. And we, you know, we've heard this phrase that people use over the years, and some people think it's cute, and it's not. But what is that phrase? Well, the devil made me do it, right? That's not the truth. You, O sinful man, gave him free reign to do his work and participated willingly. And he does it most effectively. You have on board you a flesh that loves to sin. And you say, well, I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Then you, my friend, have new life in Jesus Christ. But you know what you still live with? You still live with that old flesh 
that human part of you. you. None of us have left and gone to heaven, right? If you have, just wave at me, okay? You still live with that, that flesh that loves the, what we may call the old beaten past of sin. That has, that has developed these habits, that loves to do what's wrong, that, that's attracted to sin. And so even as a Christian, we may find ourselves giving in to these things and living in a way and speaking in a way that is sinful. And on the flip side, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do nothing but sin. We see our world set on fire by those who do not know the Lord as Savior time after time. The tongue is an insatiable fire fed by the sinfulness residing within us. But then secondly, James says, not only in this consuming, the power to consume is it insatiable, but it is secondly, untamable. James says in verses 7 and 8, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So the tongue is a fire, but the tongue is not like a wild beast. Look around our world today, and you will see all manner of beast that has been tamed by man. As James mentions, everything from beast to bird, from reptile to sea creature, man has been given by God, dominion over creation. And that dominion has been realized many times over. And in that dominion, we have done far more than just keep animals in captivity. We have trained them to serve and entertain. Think about the nobles of old. You know what they would do? They would train the falcons to hunt prey for them. You thought Fluffy the dog was great. Having a falcon would be awesome, right? doing what you want it to do. Today you go to the aquarium and they're full of fish, some of them performing shows for people to watch. Reptiles have found a home in many a young boy's bedroom over the years, much to the chagrin of parents and sisters. Now personally, my favorite example of man's dominion over wild beasts was always the lion and the tigers at the circus. Anybody ever been and seen that? Elizabeth and I, when we were first married, we loved taking this annual date to see the circus early on. And actually, this is another story for another day, but it was on the way to the circus one night that she went into labor with our son. But I was just fascinated every time with these lions and these tigers and the tamer who controlled them. I don't know, maybe it was like this sick fascination that this time it was going to be different. And like he was going to get eaten, you know? (laughs) But it didn't happen. Why? Because those wild beasts had been tamed and trained to respond to the whip and the will of their tamer. They didn't eat him. In fact, they were big pushovers. Why? Because they had been tamed. They had been brought under control. Many sit in this very room, and you're a pet owner, and you enjoy the company of those pets. But try as you might, you cannot compare the tongue to such wild beasts. For while these beasts can be tamed, the tongue cannot be brought under such control by man. 
And it is horrifically ironic that man cannot find within himself the power to restrain the tongue from consuming others. Why is that? Because of our sinful nature. We do not have the ability to overcome the power of the tongue in ourselves. Because eventually, that which is so natural to us will come out in our speech. Sure, you can fake it for a while. You know what? You may even find it easy to fake it around the right people. To walk into a setting at work or at church or wherever it may be and say the right things and, and, and not say the wrong things and continue out you know, and think, listen, I got this figured out. I'm going to tell you right now, the people who live in your home know who you are. The people who are your closest friends know who you really are. Because it always comes out in our speech. You cannot restrain this evil alone. James describes this evil in verse 7 or verse 8. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The word unruly there means restless and unstable. Doesn't that almost bring into your mind the image of an animal in a cage trying to get out, right? It is full of deadly poison longing for a victim. And, And how many a relationship has been ruined by the poison of the tongue. How many a life has had its course altered by that which was said. How many needless victims have been consumed merely by the words of another person. There is truly an unstable, evil poison residing in man's tongue. And within man, James says, there is no power to control it. No man can do that. But it doesn't mean it can't be done. When we come face to face with the fact that no man can control this consuming force, we may feel within us this urge to cry out with David, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Because where is the true power to hold back this consuming force found? It is found in God. It is found in His strength. It takes an honest look at who we are and the power of sin for us to find true victory. Because that victory does not reside in us, but in our God. And if we set the tongue loose from our own sinful flesh, it will consume and it will poison victim after victim. But with the power of God, there is hope for us to restrain the tongue. So we see within us, in the tongue, the power to consume. But not only do we see that, lastly, what we see in this passage is within the tongue there is a power to contaminate in verses 9 through 12. And James first sounds the contamination alert here. He says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have, made, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. You see, sin always has a contaminating, widespread, corrupting effect in our lives. It has been so from the very beginning that God's perfect creation was corrupted by man's willful choice to go his own way. And so, man's purpose 
to bring glory to God has been affected by our sin as well. Our tongues, James says, were created to bless and to praise God. But James observes there's a double standard being, being wrought by our tongue's use. First, it is being as it should be used, to bless God. And to James's Jewish readers, when he says, with it we bless God, there is something here called the 18 benedictions that, that, that Jewish, the Jewish people would recite. And they always ended with this, blessed be thou, O God. And so James is, would, it would draw that picture in the minds of his Jewish readers to understand that the highest possible use of the tongue is to bless God. And praise God. And we should employ our tongues to extol the goodness of God. Let us use our tongues to sing his praises. First Chronicles 16.9. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Use your tongue to sing praise to God. Let us use our tongues to pray to God and thank him. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And let us use our tongues to tell others of who he is and what he has done. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Our tongue should be consumed with the things of God. If we know the Lord, our lives should glorify him and the purpose of every Christian is to glorify God. And every Christian in God has the ability to do this. And the glorifying of God that begins in our hearts overflows to our speech. Because as the heart is, the tongue follows. Yet we contaminate this purpose when James says we instead curse men with our tongues. How quickly this wonderful tool for God's exaltation can be sharpened into a weapon to decimate mankind. James says here that we curse men. And we ask ourselves, well, how do we curse men? Well, it goes far beyond using what we may call a curse word. How do we curse men? We lash out in anger towards others. We relish in the opportunity to blast and degrade the character of others all the the while propping ourselves up above them and their unworthiness. We indulge in the sweet morsels of gossip. All of these and more curse men. And that's a big deal to God. Because we cannot ignore this important foundational fact that man is made in the likeness, the image of God. Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Speaking of the Trinity, According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Mankind is God's very personal and distinct creation. Do you understand that you are God's personal creation? You are created as the the one to have dominion over everything else. You are created to have a relationship and to worship God. 
Does God care for all of his creation? Absolutely. But your relationship with God is so different, if I can refer back to someone I referred to earlier, than Fluffy the cat. Because Fluffy the cat, God loves Fluffy. But when Fluffy the cat dies, he just ceases to exist. When you die, you will live somewhere forever. But more than that, on this earth, you have a personal relationship with God. You either accept him, engage with him, be a part of his family, or you reject him. That's part of the image of God reflected on you, by the way. That you have the ability to have this relationship with him. That that he reaches down to you to show you your sinfulness and your savior. And so, though marred by the fall, the image of man is still very much present in mankind. And so to curse man is to curse God. To attack the creation is to attack the creator. We do and we say things to and about others that we would never say or do to God. God has incredible expectations of his followers. Jesus said this, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Jesus said to his followers, this is the way you treat your opponents in life. So how do you think he wants you to treat the people who haven't struck out against you? In the same way. The tongue, though, is the revealer of the heart. And from a tongue of such a one who blesses God and curses men come two contrary things. With the blessing, with the blessing of God, he is communicating that I am living like Christ, that I am seeking to follow him. But with the cursing of others, he is communicating he does not wish to know the power of Christ in his life. James says very simply, my brethren... These things ought not to be so. Out of the mouth of a Christian, that which is right and true should be proceeding. That which is exalting God and his creation, not that which attacks it. When God recreates and transforms you at that moment of salvation, he gives you the capacity to speak with new speech that reflects your new heart. And speech slandering others contaminates the life and testimony of a believer. Contamination always shows a deeper problem. A contaminated speech, contaminated tongue, may show a heart that is so contaminated with sin and caught up with things that just need to be weeded out. Or... It may reflect one who has never known Christ in the first place. For it is not natural for a Christian to engage in these things. And to that end, James closes this passage with this illustration. Of the spring and the fruit trees. From a freshwater spring, what do you always expect to find? Freshwater, that's why they're named freshwater springs, right? 
You know, they say it on the side of the water bottle, right? Bottled at the Milwaukee bottling plant, right? These fountains of water, they don't switch back and forth. They produce whatever it is in their nature to produce. They don't magically produce one thing one day and something the next day. The same is true of a redeemed or a sinful heart. John MacArthur, in his commentary on James, wrote, A hateful heart cannot produce loving words or works. It isn't possible. The redeemed heart must be constantly submitted to God's power that it may not go back into those old beaten pathways of sin. And if, so naturally, we go back time and again without conviction or chastisement of God, what is one to think? James says that the springs don't switch back and forth between salt water and fresh or bitter water and fresh. But secondly, he says fruit trees do not produce fruit that is contrary to their nature. Now, I am not a botanist nor gardener or any of the above. I just go to Walmart and buy apples. But if I planted a tree in my backyard, I got real adventurous. Doesn't seem like it would be too difficult here in Michigan because the soil is a lot better than where I'm from. And let's say I planted an apple tree and we waited for years and however long it takes to produce fruit. And you come by my house one day and I say, look, look at my wonderful apple tree that's producing apples. And you look on that tree and there are beautiful, ripe, gorgeous, fuzzy peaches. What are you going to say? Are you going to tell me that, oh, well, I guess your apple tree felt like producing peaches this year? Is that what you're going to say? You're going to say, dude, that is not an apple tree. That is a peach tree. And if I said to you, well, I know, I know it has peaches, okay? I get that. Apples aren't fuzzy, all right? But it really is an apple tree. It just felt like doing peaches this year. And I insisted on that. You would say, you really are a few fries short of a Happy Meal. You're crazy. That is a peach tree. It's not an apple tree. And, you, and I would say, well, how do you know that? I mean, how can you prove that? And you would say, what? Look at the fruit. One commentator said, if then nature is unable to go against its created functions, ought not man's tongue praise the name of man's creator and redeemer? If you claim to be a Christian, but produce fleshly fruit in your speech consistently, what should we assume? Just as a peach tree doesn't produce apples when it feels like it, we don't get to just produce fleshly fruit because we feel like it. And that is the problem with sin. Specifically, the sin of the tongue. How often do we live by our feelings. I used this phrase last week. Sometimes we say, I couldn't help it. It just kind of slipped out. But in reality, we were kind of enjoying that sin. It really felt good to talk down to that coworker. It really felt good to give my kid a piece of my mind. It really felt good to, right? In the moment, it felt good. 
Do you think that if sin felt bad, we would struggle with it so much? Now, the consequences we don't like, but in the moment, it felt right. But sin is always wrong. And sin may be the proof of no true salvation for one whose life consistently shows it, or there may be something God is trying to get out of your heart, and he's been working on it and working on it and working on it and working on it. And if we continue in that sin, it's going to have outward effects. It's going to come out in our speech. It's going to come out in the way we live our lives. It's going to come out in the way we act. Because speech just reflects the heart. So does our speech contaminating our testimony? Is that contamination? Is it out of containment and running rampant in our lives? Because of the tongue's immense power, we must submit our speech to God that we may honor him consistently with it. Speech is an incredible gift from God because with his words, God created all we see around us. With his words, God established a relationship with mankind. With his words, God inspired his written word for us to read today. There is so much power and so much value in our words. And our sinful flesh would seek to exercise its control over the power of our tongue and wield it for Satan's work. So very simply, we must ask ourselves, who is in control of our tongues? With God's help, we can maintain control because of him. To see our tongues do great things for God's kingdom. The consuming power of the tongue is second to none. Wildfires are nothing compared to the power residing in the unbridled tongue given once and again to sinful service. And it can break out of containment and inject its poison into others around us. We do not submit it to God. And contamination, we just hear that word, contamination. And we kind of go, ooh, right? You think of things that have gotten contaminated. I, I just had lunch this week with um, a pastor friend of mine in Davison. And he, he was telling me, you know, he, they still talk about the water in Flint, right? And we all think about the water in Flint we go, ooh, Right? Contamination is not a great word. Spiritual contamination is the worst thing. If you testify to know the Lord, yet speak like one who does not, your testimony is contaminated for him. And unaddressed contamination leads to questions of a greater heart issue. The spread of the tongue is greater than you may think. Because we, we typically think of this thing, okay, I need to be careful about what I say. You know, we have given great rise to the power of the tongue. Because it doesn't stop with the words we speak. The tones that we employ, the texts that we type, the things we share on social media, and all of these things that are like this all communicate something. A multiplicity of words does not cheapen your words. It's not this idea that if I just throw more things out there, then it's going to go down in value. No, it raises our areas of responsibility with our tongue. And the power of the tongue is immense. The power to control the tongue, though, is found in one place, and that is God. And God calls on his own to use their words to glorify him, to build up one another, 
and to share the message of salvation. Understand what Paul says in Romans. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that, the, that words are necessary for the message of the gospel to go forward. How shall they hear without a preacher? Without someone to share the message of the gospel? Without the help of God, this powerful gift becomes a tremendous enemy. So I challenge us to bring this pint-sized power before the Lord and seek his control because there we will truly find it. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its power to change us. Lord, if we're honest, we don't want to stay the same. As much as we in life as humans may resist change, God, we don't want to be the same. We want to change for the glory of God. We want to see our lives changed. Lord, there are some who don't know you as Savior, and they don't want to feel hopeless anymore. They don't want to feel like life is empty. They don't want to keep trying to fill the void in their hearts. They want something to change. You are that change. Lord, would you show them today the change that you offer them for eternity. As Christians, if we truly want to be like Jesus Christ, if we're truly walking with you, Lord, we don't want to be the same. We want to change. We want to see real victory. We want to see real power. We want to be honoring to you. Lord, help us to run to you today and find that change. We ask that you would help us to examine our hearts, to examine our speech, And we ask for your conviction on our lives, that you wouldn't leave us to ourselves, but that you would show us where we have sinned in the matters of our speech. And Lord, we pray that if we have wronged another, you would help us to go and make that right, that we would truly find the power in you to use our words to lift you up. We ask that you would give us a great afternoon. Bring us back here tonight to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.